We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talithi kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Let me welcome you to Christ Community. We're glad you're here. My name's Craig Cody. I'm one of the elders here. It's, I'm thankful to be back into Mark with you. It's, uh, it's been so good for me. I, I don't know what it's been like for you, but to be able to walk through week after week after week through the Gospel of Mark and just set our eyes on Jesus and remember again that this book is here for us um, as a discipleship manual, in a sense. It's making us disciples of Jesus week after week. We're like these big blocks of marble, and week by week the pickaxe of the Word is doing its good work on us by the power of the Spirit. So I trust that this week will be another one. Thankful that the Lord's here to speak to us. As I prepared for this message, even this morning I thought about uh, one of the stranger things that happened to me 
as I lived overseas. Many of you know that my family and I, we were overseas missionaries in China for about a decade, and uh, a lot of strange things happened in China. This might have been the strangest of them all. Um, it's about a guy named Flavion. That's not a name you hear all the time. Flavion is probably how you pronounce it. He was a Frenchman. Um, and that, that story started one day when I got a phone call from the Chinese equivalent of the FBI. That's never a phone call you want to get. And not, not from the FBI here or the FBI in China. So I would say especially in China. Um, but it became quickly clear on the phone that it didn't actually have anything to do with me. It had to do with this, this guy Flavion from, from France. They needed help. The FBI needed help. Um, Flavion was uh, a spiritualist. That's the only way I can describe him. Um, as part of a soul-searching spiritual journey, what he had decided to do was bike all the way across Asia, the continent of Asia. It was this long journey. And he had made his way to the central province of China where we lived. And as he got there, somewhere right outside of our city, somewhere he lost literally everything that really mattered. He lost all his money, his credit cards, uh, and his passport. No money, no identification, and he, he needed help. So he went to the police station who connected him with the, the FBI folks. But the problem was is that Flavion's accent was so heavy in English, uh, his English accent was so heavy with the French that they couldn't understand each other. So they called me in to kind of be some sort of a strange interpreter, translator guy between the Chinese guy and the French guy. And it was, it was an interesting situation on, on multiple levels, but over the next 48 hours, um, the FBI and I worked together to get this guy back on his way, but not before I found out that Jesus had been at work in this man's heart. And I got to share the gospel with him in the context of what God was doing. Very strange. Two very different people, me and Flavion, right? Uh, different places in the world, different backgrounds, different goals in life, and yet God was at work bringing us together. Our lives collided in that moment, and he was at work. And before us today, you can kind of see where I'm going here, two more, we're going to see two lives collide together, two very different people brought together by similar motivations, though. So let's talk about those two people. The first person is Jairus. He's near the top of society. He's a leader in the synagogue. So just so you know where we are, we're in Mark 5, starting at verse 21. Jairus is at the top of society. He's a leader of the synagogue. It's an important institution in his culture, and a lot of commentators that talked about him think that he was probably the leader, the leader over all the other leaders in the synagogue, which means he, he ran the thing, he was respected, he was revered, he was probably wealthy and prosperous. And then this other person that we're going to encounter is near the bottom of society, if not the bottom of society. She's a woman with a discharge of blood. And that matters. It's really relevant because according to Jew Jewish law, her blood renders her unclean. Let me read this to you from Leviticus chapter 15. It says, If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Anything that she touches, anyone that she touches, is unclean. She is unclean. 
And it just, just for a second, let's just sit with her for a second. It's hard to overstate how bleak and devastating that position would be. This is, it says in this passage that she had this discharge for 12 years. That's 12 years in a prison. A prison where she's outside, away from the people. She's an outcast. She can't go into the public places. She's rejected and alone and untouchable. Think about that. Untouchable. And despite her attempts to solve this problem, she's just suffering more. So those are the two people. And though they come from quite different life situations, quite different backgrounds, they have something in common in our passage today. They are desperate. She, of course, is desperate to be healed of this tragic disease. And Jairus, someone that he loves so much, is dying. His little daughter, that's what it says in verse 23, is dying. So two people, two people. One wealthy and the other in poverty. One accepted at the highest levels of society and the other outcast. One with a family he loves and the other all alone. And both beyond any help that the world could give. I remember hearing this once, that in the presence of Jesus, I think this is true, in the presence of Jesus, despair is often the prelude to grace. Despair is the prelude to grace. And we're going to see that today. As we watch this story unfold, we're going to learn how Jesus sparks and strengthens faith in the lives of those he encounters. And Jesus, this is what I want you to know. I'm talking to you right here, right now. Jesus is here today, and he wants to spark and strengthen your faith today. He wants to speak to us through this passage. This is here for our good. So let's ask him to do that. Let's pray. Let's ask him to speak to us through his word right now. So Lord, we do ask you to come. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's for us. Thank you that you are here. Send your spirit upon us in power. We do need you. Every hour we need you. Come and spark faith. Come and strengthen faith. Thank you that you are a great savior. Show us your glory today, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's come to these people one at a time now. First, we're going to encounter Jairus. If you'll read again with me, we're looking at Mark chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's get the context again. So verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. So Jairus is falling at Jesus' feet. He fell at his feet verse 23, and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jairus' desperation is obvious, right? It's obvious to everyone there. It's obvious to us now. He fell at Jesus' feet. He is imploring Jesus to come. And that is an interesting encounter. Again, if you think about where he's coming from in society, right? According to everyone looking on to this situation, the crowd that had gathered around the sea, who was the spiritual leader of that region? Well, it was actually Jairus. Jairus was the one in leadership. And yet here he was at Jesus' feet, desperate. And many of you can, can, understand, can understand the desperation of that moment. If you've lost a loved one, and we all have. Not to even speak of losing a child, the, 
the desperation that you feel, the pain, the agony that you would feel. Your child is hurt. You don't know what to do. Parent or not, you understand the pain that this is talking about, the, the ache, the helplessness. But let's be clear about Jairus' plea. This is really important. This is important to understanding the way that this passage works um, for both Jairus and the woman. This is not Jairus being a really faithful disciple. In fact, he and Jesus might even be at odds. If you think about the fact that in a lot of the Gospel of Mark, the religious leaders and Jesus are at odds. They're against one another. But Jairus had heard of Jesus, and he knew what he could do, and his desperation drove him to him. In Jairus, we see something that probably feels a little bit familiar. Hopefully it does. We see a little bit of ourselves It wasn't Jairus' love for Jesus that brought him to him. And it certainly wasn't anything that Jairus was going to do for Jesus, right? So what drew Jairus to Jesus? It isn't a well-informed faith. It's an infant faith, a baby faith, a faith that's simple. And it's motivated by a need for Jesus because in Jesus there was hope. Hope was standing alive right in front of him. The moment that I trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins was a moment that was motivated by desperation. I had something really bad happen in my life. I'm happy to tell you the details at some point. That's not really the point right now. But I was desperate, and I knew that I needed a Savior. And I I didn't know a lot, but I knew enough to know that my only hope was Jesus And by God's grace, I turned to him. And many of you, that's your testimony too. You were put in a place where you needed him and you saw your desperate need for him and he responded. He responds to simple pleas for help. And that's exactly what he does for Jairus here. This simple plea prompts a powerful response. Verse 24, and he went with him. Just like that. No qualifications, no demands, No, Jesus saying, well, first, Jairus, you need to, no, he goes. He graciously goes. And then begins the Flavion moment where their lives start to collide. When Jairus and an unnamed woman intersect in this moment with Jesus at the center. So now let's turn our attention to the woman because that's who we meet next. Now, the crowd gathered around, they're at the sea, and they're following Jesus because They're all headed to Jairus' house. You can picture this in your mind. Lots of people close together, kind of like a mosh pit. Or If you've ever seen pictures of those Asian subways where they pack people in, a lot of people, tight space, all pressing around. They want to get close to Jesus. They want to touch Jesus, right? And hiding in the anonymity of the crowd is this woman. She presses through. She makes her way through. And touches him. And in the hubbub of it all, the crazy, everybody's talking, everybody's moving. In the hubbub of it all, Jesus heals her. Think of it. Think of the moment for her. All those years. All the longing, all the aching, all the loneliness. And then power surges through her body and she knows she is healed. Jesus felt it too. And he suddenly stops and he asks, who touched me? Who touched my garments, is what he said. Obviously, that's a really strange interaction. 
both to the disciples and to us as we read through this story because Jesus is being touched by people all around him. Of course he was being touched. Jesus scans the crowd, and then she comes forward, and she's frightened. Let's just pause. Step back for a second, okay? You got the scene in your mind, a big crowd. There she is in front of him. She's frightened. Think about all the things that are going on in that one moment. Jairus, likely anxious out of his mind, right? His daughter is dying, and Jesus needs to come and heal her before it is too late. And, and now, Jairus is thinking, now Jesus is pausing to find out who is touching him in this big crowd? Think about this woman. Now, she's on the ground. Now she's been called out publicly, right? Someone who's been filled with shame, and now he's putting me on display in front of everyone? She's in front of him on the ground and trembling. And the disciples, what about the disciples? They're bewildered. What is Jesus doing? You can hear it in their voices. If you look at verse 31, it says this, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? They don't understand. Doesn't Jesus understand the urgent situation with Jairus? And Jairus is really important. Life brings a lot of confusing circumstances, doesn't it? We all, we all know that. It's easy to say. But sometimes in those confusing circumstances, a lot of the confusing circumstances are the hardest circumstances. And it sure seems like sometimes Jesus doesn't even care. We can think that. These people are asking, Jairus is asking, what about my daughter? The woman's thinking, what about me? I'm filled with shame. The disciples are asking, what about our reputation? We're starting to look really weird because you're acting really weird. Let's take it a step further about the confusion of this particular situation. Jesus probably could have hustled and made his way to Jairus' house and saved this girl before she died. He could have. He certainly, but he didn't, right? He certainly could have healed her, but he didn't. He lets her die. He certainly does that in the story of Lazarus. He lets him die. This is another passage of Scripture, and it's all throughout the Bible, in this gospel and in other places, that reminds us that our view of circumstances, our view of life and the workings of God are limited. But everything that Jesus does here, and let this stir your faith, and let this comfort you, let this be a balm to your soul today. What Jesus is doing here, and everything that God is doing now in our life, in your life, comes with sovereign design and care, even those hard things. And so with his question, Jesus' question, who touched me? Who touched my garments? Jesus calls her out, right? We're back in the scene now. There she is. She steps forward. And remember, this is a woman who's been rejected by the world, an outcast, a nobody. This is an intense and a very tense moment. Shame is building. It's like a boat taking on water. Everyone is feeling it. You ever get in those situations where you just feel awkward for yourself and for the person who feels awkward and you don't really know what to do? She's afraid. She's trembling. And what Jesus does next is really important. He listens. 
He listens to her. Do you notice that? She starts to talk, to tell her story, to testify to what Jesus has done. Verse 33, she says, she tells Jesus, it says that she tells Jesus the whole truth. He lets her talk. He hears her story. Just a little quick aside. Can I just affirm that a practice for us all as brothers and sisters who followers of Jesus, and actually a lot of you are really good at this, can we, when people are suffering, or when they're sharing something tender or near to the heart, difficult, painful, shameful, whatever it is, can we just listen and let them tell their story? That's what Jesus does. Jesus had stuff to do. The girl was dying. He stopped and listened. He listens and he hears, and much in the way that he looked past um, last week, what Michael shared, we, he talked us through the passage about the demoniac, the man who is controlled by the legion of demons, in much the same way that he looked past that demonic infestation in that man, he looks past the disease and the uncleanness, and he sees her. And this, these verses are so precious. Look at verse 34. Daughter. What a beautiful word. Daughter. That's a title of identity, of association, of possession. You're mine. You're my daughter. You're my little one of love. Then he says, your faith has made you well. Jesus is lifting her up, unraveling shame before everyone's eyes. He honors her faith. He says, your faith. He honors her faith faith, and holds her up as an example to all then, all those people watching right then, to Jairus who was in the crowd, and to us now. He holds her up. And then he says, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go. She is sent. Not unclean, but healed. Sent to do what? To do exactly what she had just done, to testify about all that Jesus had done for her. Brothers and sisters, Notice this, though. This is important. The faith we see sparked and strengthened by Jesus here is messy, mixed with errors and uninformed. Think about her. She thought that she could just grab hold of the garment. That was a common superstition. If you just grab hold of somebody special's garment, you'd be healed. She, she didn't really even truly know who Jesus was. It's a newborn faith. Newborn faith is often like this. She thinks it's like some sort of magic. But it was real. Her faith in Jesus was real. She really trusted in Jesus to do it. And Jesus honored that imperfect faith. New Christians don't don't fully understand a lot, right? When, When you first trust in Jesus, there's a lot you don't get. You don't get the Trinity or the atonement or the Bible. And you can go on and on with different doctrines But those cloudy understandings are often the beginning of forming deep trust in God. Listen to what one pastor says about this. We can take courage in this, the idea that we can take courage that Jesus honors this infant baby faith. One does not need to have it all figured out to possess a faith that pleases God. This is why a child can come to Christ. That is why God often saves those who know virtually no theology. This does not minimize deep understanding. 
which is meant to foster a profound faith. The point is that a faith that pleases God does not belong only to the informed elite. God honors this weak newborn faith. The role of the evangelist, those of you who follow Jesus, your role as an evangelist or a missionary or a gospel sharer, those different roles are not limited to those who have their doctrinal ducks in a row, who have it all nailed down nice and tidy. Jesus wants testifiers. Jesus wants testifiers. He wants people who can testify about what he has done in their life. People who have encountered Jesus, and when they've encountered Jesus, they find in him a worthy savior, a powerful deliverer. Jesus takes people like this woman, like you and me, who are broken by sin and shame, gives us a new identity, raises them up, gives them honor, heals our deepest need, our need for the forgiveness of sins, and then sends us out to tell others about how great he is. That's all of us. That's all of us who trust in Jesus. That's what he's done. This woman really is all of us, right? All of us at one point or another have or will spend everything we've got trying to find remedies to our problems, but nothing works. And then Jesus comes. He comes to us from the cross. And this is our moment when he comes to us. This moment right now for you may be the moment. We must reach out for him by faith. Don't be afraid that he won't respond to you. Don't be afraid that you don't know enough or that your faith isn't isn't right Don't be afraid of the shame of your past and present sins. Don't be afraid that you're only thinking of yourself. You need only be afraid of one thing, that you would let him pass by without reaching out to him. Take your tiny little mustard seed of faith and put it in the great person of Jesus. That faith will not go unnoticed. So, while all this unfolds, Jairus looks on. Think of what's unfolded for him at this point. Think of the roller coaster that he's been on. It went from a wishful hope, right? He sought out Jesus. To an assurance of healing. Jesus is coming. To a confusing interruption. What is Jesus doing? to a hope that Jesus could possibly do the same. He healed her, maybe he'll heal my daughter. To all hopes being completely dashed. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? In that moment, complete despair for Jairus and for everyone else. She was dead. Death had won the victory. And that is a horrible and bitter reality that we all face. The death of a child in particular. We know this. And at that moment of despair, Jesus does something remarkable. Jesus had just sparked and strengthened faith through what he had demonstrated in this woman. And Jairus was watching that, of course. 
And so then he turns to Jairus and he starts to strengthen his faith. He says, do not fear. And then he says, she's not going to be healed. She's going to be resurrected from the dead. Watch. He, shoes, he goes, he shoes away these paid mourners. They're, they're hired to, to cry, to mourn. They, they tell him he's already, that she's already dead. He says she's asleep. They laugh at him. And then he brings in mom, dad, and his three closest disciples. And they're about to have a revelation, a revealing, a pulling back of the curtain to see the glory of the Son of God unfurled before their very eyes. Jesus takes her little hand, this dead, lifeless girl. He takes, ooh, he takes her hand and says, Talitha kumi, little girl. You know what that word means, little girl? Literally means little lamb, little lamb. I say to you, rise. And her eyes open. She sees, what does she see? She sees the face of Jesus. And then she sees the faces of her, her mom and her dad. And she sees the disciples, the other followers of Jesus with her there. This passage, the reason the tears are coming so easily today, partly because I'm tired, partly because this passage means so much to me. This passage to me has become one of the most precious pictures. Something that I think is going to carry me through the rest of my life. Why? Because this is a picture what, this, what happens to this girl is a picture of what will happen for all of us who trust in Jesus. There will come a day, there will come a day where, you're, where Jesus will call your name, little lamb, and you will open your eyes. And what will you first see? You will see the face of your Savior, Jesus. And then what will you see? You will see your family, those loved ones around you, who he also called out of death into life. And then what will you see? All the saints in glory that the powerful Savior Jesus had called out of death and into eternal life with him. This little girl is a picture of all of us, what awaits all of us because of who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus with his power flattens seas he calls out demons and casts them away. He heals and cleans sin and shame and diseases too. And Jesus resurrects us from the dead. That is power. That is a savior worth following. Now, I want to be clear about this. This passage, the application of this passage is not, it does not mean that if we pray, and ask Jesus, he will raise up from the dead those that we love. And believe me, there are times that I really wish that were true. I have felt that especially this week. But Jesus is doing something even greater than that. That's what his whole life and his whole ministry is about. Something far greater. He didn't come to open the door for us to raise up people who, who have already died so that they could come and live a few more years of life on earth. He came to raise up all who trust in him to live with him forever. And he did that by bearing our sin on the cross. That's what he came to do.
This resurrection that we see here from this little girl is just a taste. It's the taste, the picture of what's to come, the picture of the kingdom of God. And this little girl who was raised, she eventually grew up. She got old and she died. But the kingdom that Jesus came to establish will never be destroyed. The the resurrection that Jesus actually has in mind will raise us up to eternal life. Jesus could have spent his entire earthly ministry raising and healing people from the dead, but instead he did something that was far, far greater. He laid down his life for his little lambs so that every little lamb could live forever. So for us, this passage, this this passage for us today is a call to faith, a call to believe Jesus beckons you this morning. I know you've got a lot of complicated things in your life, and I know that your faith falters, and I know that it is weak, and I know that it is a mustard seed because because mine is too. But Jesus, the powerful Jesus of the word, the powerful Jesus who is walking in our midst today, he is beckoning you by his spirit today to join his kingdom where you become a son, a daughter, to be part of his kingdom by faith where the simplest people are honored as kings, to a kingdom where we are given mission and purpose now and a kingdom where death is no more. Jesus raises this woman, the, the woman with the uncleanness from shame to honor, from unclean to clean, to spark and strengthen her faith and to spark and strengthen yours. That is us. Jesus responds to Jairus' simple plea for help and even waits until his little girl dies in order to strengthen his faith and ours, yours today. Jesus does that because he does these things because it is by faith that we gain access to the greatest gift, the greatest treasure of all, the king and the kingdom. We get Jesus and all that his kingdom means for forever. So is God speaking to you? That's my question for you today. Is God speaking to you? Do not fear that your faith is too weak, too ignorant, that you don't know enough. He knows your heart. Ask him to give you the faith that you need And just like the woman, reach out. Jesus will heal you. He will make you whole. He will take away your uncleanness. And he will give you resurrection life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the mighty Savior, the deliverer, the one with the power. Oh, Lord, give us faith. Our faith is weak. Lord, we believe. Forgive our unbelief. Help us to trust in you today. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. Thank you that one day our eyes will open and we will see your glorious face. It's in your name we pray.